Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp. He is the founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors, which invests in mobile home parks, parking lots, apartments, offices, single-family homes all across the U.S. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Kevin. Jordan, thanks for having me. Just give us a little bit of background of how you got to be where you are today in the real estate market. Yeah, yeah sure thing. And again, thanks for having me here. Excited to, to be here with everybody. So I, 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 you know, I've been investing in real estate uh, um, pretty much my entire adult life. I uh, started buying single-family properties like a lot of folks do uh, back in my my early 20s and uh, evolved over time into you know larger types of properties, larger um, larger deals, what have you, apartment complexes, um, commercial real estate. And about about eight years ago, I um, was introduced to the world of mobile home parks, which is one of our core competencies today. Uh, it's been our really our bread and butter asset class that we've spent the most emphasis on here over the past uh, eight years, you know, going on a decade now. And uh, in addition to that, uh, you know, one of the other asset classes that we've recently introduced to our investment portfolio are uh, parking assets. So parking lots and parking garages and uh, heavily trafficked urban locations and tourist-driven locations. So, Very good. Well, let's kind of start with an overall view of the real estate market. It's really changed dramatically because of the whole COVID-19 situation. Why don't you kind of sum up the major changes that you've seen and what's getting uh, hit by it and what's getting improved by the whole COVID situation? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think and you almost have to break it down segment by segment because there's certain aspects of uh, the real estate market that have, uh, have, have done great, have survived quite well here over the last you know, six or five or six months since the pandemic have hit. Um, you know, for example, you know, being in the mobile home park space, we're in the, the affordable housing sector, um, and not just the affordable housing sector, but residential real estate in general, um, rental residential real estate in general, has done quite well. It's fared quite well, you know, and uh, there were many, many sleepless nights in March when um, the only thing that we could think about as a company is, you know, come April, who, who is going to pay and who's not going to pay the rent? And I think that was the fear that um, was pretty much across the board for anyone that owned residential real estate. And uh, obviously the, the stimulus came in and a lot of folks started receiving checks and then additional unemployment benefits, what have you. And so, you know, that, that part of the real estate sector has, has been somewhat propped up. You know, folks that still have jobs still pay their rent. Those that don't have jobs, um, a majority of them uh, have been receiving income, sometimes even more income than what they were when they were working. And so we have not seen much of a downtick at all as far as our collections are concerned. We have you know, select properties here in certain states that are a little bit more impacted than others. But generally speaking, across the board, residential rentals um, have fared quite well. Uh, you know, and then you start looking at sectors such as the hospitality industry. You know, the hospitality industry is, is the one that is uh, getting crushed uh, by far the, the, the most out of any of the other commercial asset classes. Uh, folks aren't traveling. Business, you know, uh, businessmen aren't traveling. Folks aren't traveling for vacation. They're doing staycations, you know, going locally where they could drive. Um, and, and the hospitality industry is just it's taking a bloodbath right now. And I'm not sure how long, um, you know, how long it, it could really survive uh, dealing with what we're dealing with today. In fact, I've already seen a major uptick over the past month uh, to six weeks in auctions. Uh, hotels going up for auction um, to yeah. some of the major platforms such as 10X, what have you. Uh, and I, I think that's only going to snowball from here moving forward. In fact, there's a, I forget the number, but it's, it's nearly a, a hundred billion dollars of CMBS defaulted debt, which a lot of that is tied to both hospitality and retail. So, um, yeah. retail is also, you know, taking some pain, uh, during these times and, uh, an office, I think is a more of a delayed, it's going to have a more of a delayed reaction. As we know, lots of folks are working from home. Uh, companies have realized, uh, that they, have been able to maintain uh, the similar efficiencies, sometimes even more efficiency with folks working from home. And they will ultimately come to the realization, a lot of them, that they might not need the, you know, the same amount of office space, square footage as they might have in the past. And when the lease comes time for renewal, will they renew it uh, or will they not? And I think that we'll see a delayed factor there in the office space here in the future. So, but just and then how about a single family residential 
What's happened there? Yeah, single-family single residential seems to be uh, doing quite well. Again, it's it really falling into the same category as residential rental real estate, whether it be mobile home parks or single-family homes or apartment complexes. Um, it's, it's, it's faring very well. It's incredibly strong. In fact, the inventory is at an all-time low right now, um, uh, especially in markets outside of the urban centers. You know, the, the major urban centers are, are being impacted uh, greatly, you know, New York City, Chicago, Boston, um, there is a higher than average um, uh, vacancy as, as far as available units, and that is very different in in, in majority of the uh, the remainder of the country. Uh, you know, down is this Florida, a temporary out of, situation, uh, or do you think, Kevin, this is a long term? I mean, say say we got it, a vaccine and say the, as, the COVID goes away, is this trend of people emptying out of the cities, going to the suburbs and rural areas, a, a temporary or a long term structural situation? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I don't have the crystal ball, um, but I will say that uh, us as humans have very short memories, um, and I think that I think there will be a comfort level that's given once a vaccine comes out. I mean, there will be surely a large majority of the population that will take the vaccine, and that will give them the comfort that they need to, you know, move back into some type of normalcy. And then there's the other side of the camp that uh, will not take the vaccine that are probably already ready to get back into that, 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 that normalcy, you know, like what things were prior to, to COVID. And so I, and then there would be a small camp. I, I'm thinking that just they won't be comfortable no matter what happens, right? They'll, they'll still live in fear. But ultimately, I think we have a very short memory. And I, I, I would struggle to find a world where, you know, New York City and Chicago and other major cities across the world um, you know, just become desolate wastelands. I, I struggle yeah. to see that, Jordan. But again, I don't have a crystal ball. But uh, my so guess is that, that does that mean you see opportunities, year, kind of distressed opportunities to buy into the places that are getting hurt right now? Retail, hotels, center city. I do, I, I do, and that's not one of our. You know, hospitality is not a sector of ours, and nor is retail. Um, but you know, I think that there will be a lot of opportunity for the for the uh, properties that are in prime locations, right? I mean, when you start talking about retail, and we have to break it down segment by segment, you know, retail was already, um, retail is already in trouble. Generally speaking, retail is already in trouble with the, you know, with the uh, you know, e-commerce, the, the, the looming threat of e-commerce, and it was slowly just dying a slow death. And I think COVID ultimately will, will put the nail in the coffin of those less desirable retail locations. And so, I think situations like that, those types of distressed situations of less than the desirable um, locations will have to get repurposed into something else. I don't know what that is. It's going to be case by case. Um, but I think that there will be opportunity in, in prime location, you know, Maine on Maine, right? The corner of Maine on Maine. That's going to, that, will, that type of location will thrive no matter what happens. And so if it goes through a short-term uh, period of pain due to the pandemic, I think opportunities will come about in retail because of that, in office because of that. I think that also what you'll find in um, urban-type settings, you know, large office buildings will ultimately get converted to other types of uses, um, you know, housing being one of them, right? There's a yeah. massive shortage of, of housing across the country. So I think we'll see a lot of conversions um, that come about out of office buildings. And I think the same thing will happen with, uh, with, with hotels as well. You know, prime-located prime located hotels either will maintain the hotel status and, and this will be, you know, uh, will be picked up at, you know, below replacement values, and, and you know that that new buyer will wait until things come back, or a new buyer will come in and identify that there's an opportunity to convert it to rental housing, and um, you know just completely shift it to another use. So, and conversely, so we talked about the opportunities in distress, but conversely, do you think it's too hot to invest in the areas that are booming, like the suburbs and rural areas where people are moving to? Is it overpriced at this point? Yeah, I, 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 everyone's got a different target of what type of returns they need to, you know, to, to receive on their money. I think there's all I, there's never a, a right time and a wrong time to buy. I don't feel. Um, I feel so long as you're um, as you're in tune with exactly what type of investment uh, returns you need to receive on your capital that you're placing into the market, and you can get comfortable with what you're going to receive in any given market. Then it then it's the right time to invest. Um, if you're saying, hey, I need to receive no less than a 10% return on my money, but yet you're willing to settle um, in the heat of the moment 
and buy a property and, and only receive 6%, then I might say that you're overpaying and now might not be the time to invest. You should just kind of wait and sit by the sidelines and, and see if things cool down a little bit because it, 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 it is crazy. The suburbs are absolutely insane right now. Anywhere I go, I just traveled to North Carolina this weekend and um, even up in the mountains, the mountain towns, you look at realtor.com and I guarantee 80% of the listings have pending on them. Everything it's uh, is, is under crazy. contract and everything is, is going for, you know, 10, 20, 30% higher than asking price. Bidding wars are happening, but I don't think that, I think that's just really a mass exodus of folks moving out of the, these urban core locations that have been literally locked up in their homes for five or six months. Yeah. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the money answer show. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp. He is the founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors, which helps people invest in real estate. You can find out more at his website, which is mysunrisecommunity.com. We'll be back after this. Wish you were in early on some of the best-performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. Our crowd investors were, and now you can join them in what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Our crowd's investment professionals leverage their extensive network to review some of the most promising private companies and startups in the world. Their in-depth due diligence includes meeting with management teams and generally comprehensive vetting of deals they decide to make part of their own portfolio. Once our crowd has selected a deal, they offer accredited investors the opportunity to invest alongside them with the same terms. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers and review the current deals. No payment is involved until you decide to participate in a deal. As you review deals, you have access to our crowd's investor relations team, who you can talk to directly on the phone about your personal investment goals. The investment professionals at our crowd have already reviewed thousands of companies, invested hundreds of millions of dollars, closed investments in over 200 companies, and chosen dozens of companies that have made exits. Accredited investors can participate in a single company deal for as little as $10,000 or one of our crowd's funds for as little as $50,000. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in TechSee, a software app that helps technicians and customer service teams see what a customer sees without ever stepping inside their home or office. It's safe, easy, and already revolutionizing how companies like Salesforce, Verizon, and Samsung support their customers. As a category leader in the visual assistance space, and with remote support being essential during the pandemic, TechSee is uniquely positioned to continue to maximize their market share with leading enterprise companies. You can get in early on TechSee and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash answers. If you're interested in investing, you need to join rcrowd. The rcrowd account is free, so just go to ourcrow.com slash answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big, they call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, 
philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp, founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors, which helps people invest in real estate. Their website is sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks for having me here, Jordan. So let's go into some specific areas that you specialize in, parking lot investments. So you'd think particularly with downtown areas with a lot fewer people commuting in that this would be one of the worst times to get into parking lots. What, what is the state of investing in parking lots these days? Yeah, the state of investing in parking lots uh, is, is struggling now. So you're, you're definitely accurate with that point, um, that, that folks are not you know, commuting to work at present. And so the last six months have been quite the struggle for the parking lot sector, uh, more on the operator side of the business. And let me specify what I mean there. It's a, it's a unique niche in that uh, the majority of the operators uh, of these different parking assets, whether they be surface lots or parking garages, typically are not the ones that actually manage and run the day-to-day operations. Uh, the majority of the folks that are in this, in this industry are on the management side of things, and they're not on the ownership side of the a- assets themselves. And so the management companies have been struggling a great deal over these past six months. Um, you know, there's um, you know, certain, certain markets are doing better than others. Uh, we own some parking lots in, in some uh, secondary downtown markets that are already at a 55 to 60% recovery of what they were same time last year. Uh, and so, you know, with the, with the bad also comes the good. And so um, one of the big benefits, I think, will be on the buying side you know, with the stress that ultimately will, will be as a fallout from parking lot operators that have debt loads on their properties that uh, have not been receiving the income that they might have underwritten or, or drawn out in their pro forma uh, here over the last six months. And, and I think a lot of you know, the, the markets that are in a little bit more, some more of the liberal states that are going to take longer to recover. So talking to New York City, talking to downtown Chicago, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's going to be a longer run of recovery for those, and therefore, I think there will be opportunities that will come about of it. But in any sense, our structure with our management companies, how we typically work on the assets that we own, is there's a, a long-term lease put in place, uh, typically a double or a triple net lease that's put in place. And so there's a guarantee. There's a guarantee in place. And so we, we personally have not seen any, um, any dip in our income. Uh, however, we do know that the management companies that are managing some of our assets, they're, they're having some tough times in the markets. And so, yeah. um, but however, so tell we us have a little bit about renegotiate any terms. Tell us about parking. What is the minimum investment? What kind of rates of return can people expect? What's the holding period? Just tell us about the basics of parking lot investments. Yeah, and it's all across the board. But generally speaking, you know, these are covered land plays for us. Um, you know, th- these aren't going to be huge double-digit returns, you know, especially if you're buying in prime locations. Uh, but us, as an investment group, we're seeking to um, to receive anywhere between an 8 to 10% cash-on-cash return on our properties. Um, and the typical lease term on any asset that we buy is going to be on the low end of five years and the long end of 10 years, a fixed-rate term. Um, uh, as far as the average investment amount, you know, we bought lots as small as $750,000, and there's you know, parking assets that, that run into hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so, it's just, again, it's just really, really all across the board. Okay. Uh, so, are you saying you would recommend investing in parking lot now, or should you wait until there's more fallout and you can buy these distressed parking lots and, and invest later? Yeah, and no, I, I think that it goes back to my original statement of you know there, there's good opportunity in any market cycle, right? It depends. It doesn't. It depends. It doesn't matter if you're at the top of the cycle, bottom of the cycle. You know, we're closing on a parking lot here in a couple of weeks that um, that we've been kind of kicking the can for the past couple of months. 
We feel comfortable with the recovery in the, in the market that it's in uh, based on the price we're paying. And on the lease that we structure with the operator who is still willing to sign a lease, even given the, the down, slightly downturn in the market, uh, we're going to be receiving about a, a 9.5% unlevered return on this asset. So um, t- if you ask me whether or not it makes sense for us to buy that particular property, I would say yes. Uh, if that same property, if I was only going to be receiving a 5% unlevered return, I'd, I'd probably debate a little bit and, and, and hold off and see how things play out here over the coming year or two. So, so are you buying again, an I think individual? Opportunity in any market. Yeah. Are you buying and, individual parking lots or do you have a fund that has several parking lots around the country in one, one vehicle? So we have a combined fund that actually owns mobile home parks and parking lots. So it is a fund structure, but it's got both asset classes rolled up into one fund. Very good. Okay, the next area is uh, mobile home parks, an area you've been in for a long time. I think you did a book about mobile home parks, as I remember. Is that right? I've done a book and a training course and, and have a podcast even on the topic, so yes. So what is the appeal of investing in mobile home parks in this current environment? You'd think the people in mobile home parks would be the most affected by both COVID and losing their jobs. And as you said, the people were getting stimulus checks, but that hasn't happened since the end of July. And here we are at the end of September. So you'd think those people would be the most distressed and and that would be difficult for mobile home parks in the current environment. Yeah. No, that's that's a fair point. Um, However, I will say that the majority of folks that live in a mobile home community, they actually own their home. Uh, and, and, and for the most part, it, it's normally going to be the most valuable asset that they have, just like any other you know, uh, human that owns a home. And the average lot rent across the country, uh, the average lot rent across the country uh, is right in the $350 a month range. And you could pick any city where we own an asset. We own a 13 states a day. And our mobile home park would probably fall in line with the quality of like a B-class apartment complex, somewhere in that you know, B, B-minus range. And so just you know, middle of the road, blue-collar quality, affordable housing, and there will be no cheaper place that you will find where a, a family of four can live uh, and raise their family than that of a mobile home park. And so with that being said, that $350 a month, if, there's, if they can't figure out a way to make that payment, they're not only at risk at, of getting evicted, but they're also at risk of actually losing that home. And I've come to find that you know, when, when backed against the wall, Almost anyone can figure out how to come up with $350 in a given month. Number one, to stay in their home. Number two, to know that they're not they're running the risk of actually losing that home, have it being taken away from them. And so um, I think that's one of the big reasons why, you know, uh, mobile home parks have remained so strong, not just through this pandemic, but also they were the top performer um, during the 2008 financial crisis as well. They were the top performing asset as far as collections and um, uh, um, lowest number of default rates of any other commercial asset class. And I think that's the reason. It's, it's, it's the cheapest place to possibly live. If you can't afford to live in a mobile home park, there's literally no other option at that point in time. I mean, you'd be yeah. basically homeless under a bridge. Yeah. So, again, your funds, it's a, a diversified portfolio of mobile home parks, or it's uh, one at a time? How, how do your funds work, and what's the minimum to invest in them? Yeah, so we have multiple funds. Uh, we're currently uh, we just rolled out our th- third fund, which will be a combined parking lot and mobile home park. Um, uh, the minimum investment is one hundred thousand uh, dollars. They own multiple assets underneath each fund. Uh, each of the funds in the past have been very different than the next, in that you know one fund might own seven assets in three states, and uh, we've got uh, another fund that owns uh, sixteen assets amongst uh, or across seven different states. So. Um, this, this fund that we're rolling out, that we just rolled out, will be a combined of um, uh, mobile home parks and parking lots. Um, basically, the northeastern, southeastern, and select Midwest regions is where we invest. And this is for accredited investors or anybody can invest? Th- that's correct. It's a Reg D 506C, so they have to be accredited. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Very good. And what is the uh, appreciation opportunity in the long term? I, do you eventually sell the mobile home parks, or do you plan on keeping them forever? Yeah, I'd like to say that we're, we're a buy-and-hold type investor. You know, they're not building any new mobile home parks. It is the only asset class that has a diminishing supply, so there's, there's more that get redeveloped or shut down in any given year than the new product that comes online. And so, um, we're of the mind that if we find a great mobile home park in a phenomenal market that has a high demand for affordable housing, um, that we would like to keep it long term. I mean, we're long term investors. We're at, you know, seven to 10 year plus horizon. Now, with that being said, 
you know, we've sold a number of communities over the last couple of years. You know, as we build our business and grow, we evolve our portfolio and we've selectively chosen some of the assets that maybe we no longer want to hold for the long term. Maybe it's the market. Maybe we didn't grow as much in that market as what we had originally intended. Maybe it's just a smaller asset and it could be many other reasons. And so for the most part, we're buying whole type investors. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp. He is the founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors. Helps people invest. We've talked about mobile home parks, parking lots, also apartments, office buildings, single-family homes all across America. Uh, You can find out more at his website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp, the founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors, which helps people invest in mobile home parks, parking lots, apartments, office buildings, single-family homes all across America. He also is the uh, podcaster at a podcast called The Real Estate Investing for Cashflow Podcast. You can find out more at his website, which is sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Tell people again the name of the fund we were just talking about, uh, and is it open for a particular period of time? Are there commissions? Just tell people again more the details of how they can get into that fund if they'd like to. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to learn more about this particular fund and our offering and any future offerings, our website is the best place to go, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com, as you mentioned. And this particular fund is uh, called the Mobile Home Park Growth and Income Fund Number 3. So this will be our third fund um, here over the past five or so years. Uh, and, again, they can download the prospectus, the, the offering memorandum, um, get all the details on that particular offering itself uh, from the website. As far as the length of time that it's open, um, you know, we have the ability to raise capital here over the next 18 months and the ability to extend it thereafter for another six months. And so the, the you know, the general horizon will be somewhere in the two-year range, depending on, um, you know, the activity within the fund. Yeah, very good. Uh, another big topic is the whole eviction um, and a foreclosure moratorium going on in the country. Now, that was part of the CARES Act, which expired at the end of July. There have been some other mm-hmm. ones that are not totally clear. So let's tr- first talk about the rental situation. Um, wh- what do you see happening with evictions? I mean, landlords have been hanging out for a long time, in many cases not collecting full or, or even partial rent, and they're kind of getting at the end of their ropes and want to evict people. Wh- what is happening there, and what do you expect to happen uh, from renters who are not paying all or part of their rent? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think that uh, I would have had a slightly different answer uh, a couple weeks ago prior to the CDC kind of stepping in and, and, and rolling out this nationwide eviction moratorium because prior to that, it was really on a state-by-state, municipality-by-municipality basis, um, uh, unless the loan was backed by the, a government entity, right? But other than that, there was multiple other states that are, are they had open, open evictions back up, landlords were able to file, and then the CDC stepped out two weeks ago. And I think that's being, it's being uh, uh, contested by multiple different 
um, uh, outfits. Uh, and so we'll see how that all plays out. But I, you know, Jordan, I personally feel that I think that there's some delayed pain that um, landlords are going to feel. As we mentioned beginning of the show, you know, residential real estate, rental real estate has just been it's been doing phenomenal. Um, given the the time that we find ourselves in during a pandemic, unemployment rates reach double digits, what have you. Uh, and I only think that it's been doing phenomenal. I can only define as phenomenal because I do feel that the number of folks that are actually were unemployed, they were still receiving enough money from the stimulus checks that were being received up until July 25th to actually make their, their rent payment. Um, it's been now, you know, it's been over a month uh, since, uh, uh, since they received that last stimulus payment. I think that we're probably going to see, unless another phase two comes out, which I think they're still trying to work through, I think we'll see an uptick. I, I really do. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out in the long term. Um, and a lot will have to be said once the election comes and passes, exactly where we stand and, and, and how the world looks at that point in time. But I, I do think, assuming that at some point the stimulus money does run out for good, there's there's no there's no phase three after phase two. It runs out for good. I still think we can all agree that we're, fu- we're probably going to find ourselves in an unemployment rate that was higher than that prior to the pandemic. I think we can all agree on that. Whether it be seven percent, nine percent, it's going to be higher, inevitably. And I think once that additional money starts flowing in, I think that's when renters are going to feel the pain. I think that's when it really will trickle up to landlords. Um, of, of renters really not being able to pay their, their monthly rent. Now, as far as the eviction moratorium is concerned, um, I think there's certain states that are, are, are acting on um, that kind of added benefit for renter protection more than others. Um, you know, we own some communities up in New York, and um, what we've personally seen is that, you know, there's a little bit more of a selective action of whether or not we should pay our rent, even if they can pay the rent, and it's a very different state of affairs in communities that we might own in, in Texas or Kentucky or Alabama, what have you. It's just a slightly different so mentality. What are you doing, folks. Kevin? So, uh, since you're a large landlord, what are you doing to people yeah. who have not paid their rent for three or four months and, and they say they don't have the money to pay okay. anything? How are you approaching that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we rolled out a, a COVID hotline uh, in the middle of March uh, in preparation for April. We, dedicated, we hired a dedicated staff member set up a dedicated hotline, over-communicate with our residents, letting them know that ultimately we want to work through this together. Our intent is not to ever evict anyone out of their home. Um, if someone lost the ability to pay their rent, we're here to work with you, you know, work through a payment program. Uh, and, you know, just an open line of communication is what we, um, you know, sought to establish. And, and, we, and we did that with the majority of the residents that truly had a challenge with paying. And as far as what we did to prove their inability to pay, it just, we, we didn't make it overly egregious. It was simply, you know, tell us what happened and tell us when you might be able to resume making payments again. And, and, and it was simple as that. Again, our goal is not to evict someone out of their home if they ultimately want to stay there and have every intent of staying and paying their rent at some point in the future. And so we've worked with everyone that we possibly could. Um, there's always going to be those random bad apples here and there, but um, for the most part, everyone's uh, done the right thing, communicate with us, and uh, and we worked out a you know long term payment pro- so program for them. What, to get what happens if somebody is unemployed, does not particularly have great prospects of being employed anytime soon, and just says I can't pay right yeah. now. I don't know when I'm going to be able to pay. What do you do with a situation there's, like that? There's, there's uh, unfortunately, I think that's the same situation that most landlords in across the country that run into that type of tenant. There's not an option today, and 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 every every state and every judge seems. They're seeming to um, uh, um, uh, interpret the CDC uh, national moratorium eviction differently than the next. Uh, for example, in Georgia, um, I've seen that a number of the counties in Georgia are still continuing with evictions. Judges are still pushing forward with evictions if there's grounds for it. Uh, and then, you know, in other states, they're following the CDC orders and they put a halt completely on any evictions. And so, um, to answer your question more straightforward. If we have the ability to, um, to, to move forth the eviction process, if the tenant has just blatantly said, we're not paying you, I've got the ability, I'm just not paying you, I'm going to stay here whether you like it or not, um, we'll go through with the legal process if we can in that given state. Yeah. And then on the other side, on the again, mortgage I'll, side, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm going to follow it up by saying, but, uh, you know, just our intent is not to evict residents. Our intent is to keep them there. You know, it's, it's in everyone's best interest for us to, uh, how, allow them to, you know, keep a roof over their head, to, you know, to keep a, a safe and dry place for their family. And uh, even from a financial sense for us, 
it makes more sense for us to keep them there than for us to forcefully evict them. However, there comes a point in time where it no longer makes financial sense on either side, and, um, and, and we've got to figure out a legal way to, uh, to remove them. What's going to happen to uh, landlords who have not been getting their rent for several months? Are, are they going to have uh, financial trouble as well? Yeah, I, I, you know, that's, that's a great question. I, you know, the majority of landlords in this country, which I think is the complete different, it's a very different picture than what the general public has of landlords. You know, I think the general public that has never owned rental real estate views a landlord as a rich, wealthy individual. And for the most part, that's just not the case. You know, for the most part, it's a mom and pop landlord that owns a few rental properties. They've made some smart decisions 15, 20 years ago for you know, long-term retirement going to use that property as a, an income source once they were retired or what have you. And they don't have a lot of reserves. A lot of them are still working other jobs. It's not their full-time job. It's a, it's a side investment, it's something that uh, they, they rely on that rental income to pay their mortgage payment, to pay their debt payment, which most of the time is going to be a 30-year loan. And um, I think there's a lot of landlords that are going to be in a very, or already in a very a peculiar situation that, um, and unfortunately, there's no relief for us or any of those other landlords out there. There's no government relief that has come our way, um, uh, you know, for the lack of rental payments that have come in um, due to the you know, due to the pandemic and uh, unemployment and you know eviction moratorium, what have you. So it's, I think it's going to be. A t- I think it's already a tough road, Jordan. I think there's already a lot of landlords that are struggling. I follow different um, uh, uh, landlord uh, boards on on Facebook, different forums. Um, investment group forms, what have you, and they're, they're struggling. I mean, how can they not be? Uh, so are they going to be going time. going bankrupt and, and putting their apartment houses up for, for sale at, at discounted prices? Yeah, I think it depends on what kind of loan they have as well. Uh, you know, if they have a, you know, if they have a Fannie, uh, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan, uh, they've been very lenient with offering forbearance programs. And so I think that those that have the government-backed loans uh, will have a little bit more leniency and be able to work through these challenging times until things get back to somewhat of a normal. I think if they have, the, if they have a loan with a local bank, um, you know, a bank that they can actually speak with a loan originator, what have you, I think, again, there's a lot of flexibility there. But I think really where the trouble really comes in, when you start speaking to not necessarily just a single-family rental, but a, an apartment complex, I think where the trouble comes in is when they have a, you know, a CMBS type of loan structure in place. Uh, you know, it's very challenging to restructure those types of loans. And I think those are, the, uh, those are the landlords that will ultimately see the pain sooner than the others. Because um, yeah. you know, most, most banks, they can't afford to take these properties back, like, in a one fell swoop. I mean, like, this, it, it would be an uh, uh, inordinate amount of, 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 of foreclosures if, all the banks kind of threw their hands up in the air and said, no, I'm sorry, you know, we're, we're going to move forward the foreclosure process. So in any event, I think that's where the, the biggest pain is going to be felt there in the CMBS world. And then how about on the individual side? A lot of people are not able to make either their full or, or partial mortgage payments. Are you going to see a lot more foreclosure? There, again, there was a foreclosure moratorium as part of the CARES Act. It's now kind of a uh, spotty yeah. situation. What, what do you expect to happen with uh, individual residents not being able to make their mortgage payments. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's inevitable, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's basically I, I think it's not a common sense logic is I can't make my payment. My bank is forcing me to make my payment. What's the alternative? And um, if, if there is not an alternative in, in the form of some type of stimulus or some type of third party assistance, then I think that there's going to be a uh, you know an uptick of foreclosures. But I. I I personally feel there will, there will be a phase two stimulus here rolled out that will ultimately help um, help the uh, the general public, the renters, what have you. I think that there will probably be another form of a of a PPP type loan program that gets rolled out at some point in time. Um, I think that the government's going to do anything they can in their power to prop um, this country up uh, for as long as they possibly can, so that it doesn't completely implode. And I think that's what we're teetering on right now. I think we're we're teetering on a cliff. Um, from many different perspectives that uh, essentially sooner or later it's going to fall over, but things will be kept propped up for as long as possible. And what will happen to the mortgage-backed securities market? People are owning Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny Mae securities. Are there going to be massive uh, losses on those and and people will lose them? I mean, could this be similar to 2008, 2009 in the mortgage-backed securities market? Yeah, I mean, there's there's already just shy of $100 billion of CMBS um, defaults 
as of a week ago. Um, and so that's, that is a substantial number, um, and it's only going to grow from there. And um, I think there will be. I don't know what it will look like in comparison to, uh, to 2008, 2009, but uh, I don't think there's any way. I'll, I'll, leave it, I'll, I'll put it this way. I don't think there's any way, Jordan, that we could ultimately walk through this unscathed. I, you know, for, for those that think that, you know, Trump gets elected, Biden, whoever gets elected, doesn't matter. For those that think that we're going to put a new president in place or keep the existing president and the economy just gets back to normal or, you know, we, 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 we uh, get rid of these mask mandates and, and, um, and these COVID restrictions and the world just gets back to a normal place, I think that's nearly impossible to think that would happen. Uh, do you agree? I do agree. I agree. We have to go to another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp, founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors, which invests in the real estate market. You can find out more at his website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Kevin Bupp, is founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors, which helps people invest particularly in mobile home parks and parking lots and other forms of real estate. You can find out more at his website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Jordan. So tell me about the future of cities. Uh, we've, for many years, been urbanizing. People have been moving into the cities. Now that seems to be reversing. If you were mayor of New York City or San Francisco or Chicago, what would you do to uh, improve the future outlook for your city? Yeah, that's that, that's a tough question to answer. Being put in the shoes of... Uh, of a Como or uh, what have you. It's just, um, you know, I, I think I'll answer it this way as far as the, you know, what's the long-term outlook for cities. Again, I, I mentioned in the beginning of the show that us humans have a very short memory span. We just do, you know, uh, once things get back to some type of normalcy, we'll, we'll have a hard time. It'll be a very foggy memory in, in, in five years. It will be a very, very distant foggy memory in 10 years of, uh, of the pandemic for, for the majority for the majority of the population. For those that maybe have lost a loved one, very different situation, but just generally speaking. And I think that, um, you know, folks live in these urban environments, you know, New York City, Manhattan, whatever, they, they live in these urban environments, you know, for the energy, for the dining, for the entertainment, for the culture. Right now, all that is gone. Right. I mean, it's, it doesn't exist. It's practically non-existent. And I think that, in a, in a matter of time, whatever that time looks like for each one of these, uh, these, these, these major cities, things will open back up. You know, maybe not everything will open back up because some are going to be out of business for good. But, you know, they, they've all, all these cities have gone through downturns historically. I mean, there's been points in time throughout the decades, throughout the century, that they've gone through challenges. I mean, look at New York City back in the 80s, right? It was a, it was a disaster, and it yeah. rebuilt itself. It became a, just a, a thriving place that people wanted to be murder rate went down, what have you, and it just it attracted folks in. And right now that people are, people are leaving, like they're, 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 they're moving out of the city, whether it be permanent or temporary, I still think those that are attracted to living in that type of environment will ultimately, whenever they, they internally feel that, 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 that safe, you know, they're safe again to do that, 
I think they'll be drawn back to the city. I don't think that the city will just become a barren wasteland, whether it be New York, Chicago, or any other major city in the U.S. Um, How how do you decide, Kevin? Back to when? Good. I was going to say, how do you decide? We're looking at a distressed investment, whether it's temporarily down, a great chance to buy it as a bargain, or when it's going to be like permanently down and you don't want to get into it, as it relates to uh, real estate in, in big cities, for example. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's all it's it's all driven on returns. I mean, we're not speculators, Jordan, so we are not the. I wouldn't label us as an opportunistic investor that is going to go in and bet on the future of that turnaround. You know, assume that you know we're going to buy an asset in New York City and that the market's going. We're going to build buy an asset in the corner that used to be a restaurant that went out of business. The entire street's been boarded up. I'm not going to buy that because I don't have a, a crystal ball. It's really hard to say when restaurants are going to come back, when people are going to move back into the city. That would, I would not be that type of investor. However, with housing, it's very different. You know, housing, I know that everyone needs a roof over their head. So it's a very different dynamic of when trying to underwrite a residential piece of real estate than that of a, of a, of a retail corner or an office building or something along those lines. But even then, just from a higher level perspective, I know exactly what type of returns that we're seeking and our investors are seeking. And so it's very easy to back into those numbers. Again, not being an opportunistic investor that's going to speculate and buy something with a chance that it might turn around in three or four years. That's not not our game. Our game is to buy something that we can back in today. We know that the demand is already there. Maybe it's distressed because of the ownership structure. Maybe it's distressed because of the debt structure had in place. But the actual... The, the real demand for the product itself, you use mobile home parks as an example. I, I run a test ad and we get 100 phone calls for people that want to buy a, pro, a, a, a mobile home in our community. That's real demand today. Although the property might be underperforming, I know I can fix it. I know the, the demand already exists. So I don't have to rub the crystal ball to guess when it might come back. And so that's the type of investor we are. And I can easily back into those returns of where we need to be in order to make, it sense, make sense of the buy today and then realistically run out a pro forma based on the current demand that we're seeing in that marketplace. So, um, yeah, again, I, I don't know if I answered your question. I'm not trying yes, to be no, on the push, but we're, we're, not that, we're not that type of opportunistic investor. Looking around the country, what are some markets that you think look attractive at current prices, and which ones do you think are overpriced, just generally as far as regions? Yeah, as far as the region, I mean, we love the Southeast. I mean, I think uh, it, it was even, uh, I mean, it was much of a trend even before the pandemic hit. I mean, you know, folks are getting older and colder, and uh, they're looking to move to the Southeast, the Sun Belt. And uh, that, that trend had been happening for, for many, many years prior to even this pandemic. And I think that it accelerated that trend here uh, over the last six months or so. But um, we've got assets in the Northeast, we've got assets in the Midwest, and we've got assets in the Southeast. And I would say that our Southeastern assets continually outperform um, the assets that we have in the Midwest and the Northeast. Um, just you know, the, the Midwest is a very much a linear market. It doesn't go up, doesn't go down. So it's very steady and, and rolls forward at an even pace. The Southeast um, has, has continued a growth pattern for, for multiple decades now. So, and I can, you know, we, we intend on that, that growth pattern to continue here in the future. And again, lots of folks are already, they had already been moving away from the colder states. Um, and, uh, and, I, and again, if we had to place bets on regions to put all of our, you know, to put a majority of our capital into the Southeast, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the office sector again. As you say, a lot of people are not returning back to offices. You said some offices may even be converted into housing. Uh, is this a distressed area that you would invest in, assuming it's going to come back, or, or is it going to be permanently uh, de- depressed? You know, I mean, we might consider an investment if it was a conversion, you know, if we were going to actually convert uh, an office building into a, an, an apartment complex. But, you know, office isn't really our space. Um, you know, as far as folks, you know, the office sector coming back, I mean, I think, I think the long-term outlook will be different uh, on office than what it was prior to the pandemic. You know, wh- whether, you know, companies go completely back to work or they stay completely virtual or they find that hybrid mix, um, you know, there, there's – you know, folks that are in the office sector, I've interviewed a guy a few weeks back that, you know, his, his take on it was, yes, Kevin, maybe, maybe companies will realize they don't need um, the same square footage that they once had. However, they'll have to actually have more of a square footage footprint per, uh, uh, per employee. And so while they might only have, 
you know, uh, 50% of the employees that are back in the office and the other 50% work from home, they might need double the actual space, right? The actual workspaces might need to be bigger with shields and what have you. And so that was kind of his perspective that more than likely, even if we have to reduce the amount of space needed, they're going to need more for half the employees. And so that's an interesting perspective. I'm not sure if I, yeah. if I agree with that or not, but um, I think there's enough technology out there that allows us to effectively communicate uh, with our team members and feel like we're, uh, you know, we're, we're together, we're on a team, um, you know, we, we can see each other's faces, we've got Zoom, we've got um, uh, messaging programs like Slack. For example, uh, Jordan, we, we had an office lease that was coming up for renewal at the end of March. In January, we decided as a company that we weren't going to renew it, and the reason was that we would come to the office every day, and we use Slack internally, and we found certain days where we literally wouldn't even see each other. I mean, with our entire team, we might walk past the office door, but we would communicate all day long via Slack, and, and be in the same building, but not necessarily have a physical um, form of communication going. And, I, and just we realized that it wasn't necessary for us to have to have that physical office space, and we decided not to bring the lease. It worked out in our favor. It's COVID hit, and uh, we wouldn't be working out of that space today anyway. So yeah. I, I think a lot of companies are going to realize that here moving into the future, that they can be just as efficient, you know, working remotely. So we have about two minutes to go. Why don't you just kind of sum up, uh, the opportunity you see in real estate with the market having been changed so dramatically by the virus. Yeah, no, I, again, I think it goes back to, you know, for folks that are listening, if you're looking to make an investment, I think you have to get in tune with exactly what types of returns that you're seeking. Uh, I, I, you know, I think that the pandemic will kick out some opportunities on the back end of it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be sitting by the sidelines thinking that there's going to be a massive crash like that of 2008 and the market's going to get with foreclosures. Might that happen? could. Uh, might it not? Right. It might not happen. It might not be that severe. Um, I'd say that there's opportunities today. If you look hard enough, you might just have to dig a little deeper and um, just know exactly where you need to be as far as your returns. Get comfortable with the market that you're investing in and be comfortable making that investment today. Um, if you can get back, if you can back into those numbers and know that you can achieve them comfortably. So, um, I mean, we haven't stopped buying. We haven't stopped investing. I would say that things have slowed down, not necessarily because we wanted to slow down. It's just the world slowed down a little bit. And so yeah. uh, we've, we tread a little bit more cautiously for the first couple months of the pandemic and then quickly realized that, you know, um, the world still moves on and there's still investments to be had. And uh, we know exactly where we need to be um, as far as returns. And, uh, and uh, we're comfortable buying uh, you know, certain assets. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Kevin Bupp founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors. The fund he was talking about that invests in mobile home parks and parking lots is called Mobile Home Park Growth and Income Fund 3. You can find out more about him at sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Thanks so much. I think people learned a lot during this last hour, Kevin. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. It's been great fun. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.